Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, where we bring you weekly conversations with purpose-driven leaders. Our focus is to share meaningful conversations with purpose-driven people having a big social impact in our community. Our mission is to enable you to listen, connect, and grow. You can learn more at humansofpurpose.com.au. One of the main things we missed during that time was our focus on purpose. It would always, you know, impacts at the core of Intrepid Trips. You know, you go and, and the money goes in local communities. We've been carbon offsetting since 2010. Yeah. You know, big things that may not have seen to drive sales for other businesses were important to us and our, and our customers. And at the time, we decided to have a purpose beyond profit. Welcome back to the pod. Great to have you with us as always. Those are the wise words of Lee Barnes, who is the Chief Purpose Officer at Intrepid Group. So there are a few reasons I wanted to connect with Lee and have him on the show today. One is obviously his incredible title, which you don't see too often, a purpose officer in the C-suite for a global company. The second is that Intrepid are doing some amazing things in the uh, purpose over and beyond profit space that I think are worth hearing about, particularly around um, all, I think, 25 of their um, companies globally becoming B Corps at around the same time, which is a huge change for them. So that's worth listening to. And I think Lee's gone through a really amazing journey. He's traveled really widely. He started out in, um, in social media and tech and then made his way to play a really pivotal role in a, a global company becoming really um, a, a leader, a thought leader and a practice leader in sustainability, um, ethical practice and purpose-driven practice. So listen in, uh, learn some lessons from Lee and uh, sparingly from myself and uh, enjoy the pod. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Excellent. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. It's terrific to have you. It's, uh, it was great to meet you recently at our work club. And I must say, I was searching around on LinkedIn and I saw this bloke with the title Chief Purpose Officer, <laughs> Lee Barnes, and I thought, if there's someone I really want to talk to, it's that guy. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, it's been an interesting experience. Half my job's actually just explaining my job. Um, so I do, I do a... A lot of telling people what I do. So thanks for reaching out, man. It's uh, one of the cool things with the the job title besides explaining it has been the amount of people I've got to meet. So um, I've come back after spending the last four and a bit years in Toronto, so building a new network and meeting people. Um, I didn't expect my job title to make that easy, so I've had a lot of people reach out. So it's been a cool Was it like, uh, benefit. Has that title made it easier? Do you feel like um, having the unique title because it's new has led to kind of you know, there's more opportunity to explain and that's like a icebreaker? De- definitely. Like, um, I suppose if I came back and just had um, head of sustainability or head of people, not that they're cool job titles, I don't yeah. think, but because it's chief purpose, it's new, it's new, it's unique. Um, people want to understand why their ha- um, business has that role, especially when the, I think in a lot of companies, you know, the CEO, COO, anything in that chief um officer role that's new and unique people are interested in because you are part of the yeah. decision makers. Because the C suite is generally confined to, you know, your CEO, your COO, your CFO. It's yeah. cool to see different types of C suite. Yeah, and I think also you understand that's the direction of the company because yeah. that's where the decisions are and you see that the company think it's important so they've got someone driving it. And we're seeing that, you know, in organizations, our chief diversity and inclusion officers, you know, there's a lot of new and unique C-suite roles, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, and I think it also takes it away of the kind of people that you have in your C-suite, which would traditionally have been finance, sales, 
marketing yes. operations. Yep. So I think it's really cool, not only because of the remit we're now seeing companies want to take, but the kind of people you'll see in these roles as yes. well. And it's getting a more diverse skill set and portfolio. So I think lots of reasons it's cool. And it's definitely made um, not every part of my simulation back easier, man. Definitely not. But um, helping build a, a network back here has been good because a lot of people reach out to have a chat. I think that's critical what you said. We'll get into that a little bit later. Why don't we start by talking a bit about um, Intrepid Group, your experience there. But maybe before that, what led you what led you into Intrepid where you've had quite a long um, career that spanned North America and uh, Melbourne? Yeah, um, um, so I'd definitely gone on a unique path. I um, went to St. Joe's uh, Catholic School in, in North Melbourne, uh, boys' school, and then went off to, to Deakin and sort of struggled with the university. I was all over the all over the shop, you know, probably a bit overwhelmed by uh, being able to interact with so many people, being able to socialize so much, um, and was all over the shop. You know, um, less study, more party is probably what I was going through yeah. at that point. Um, but eventually got my stuff together and passed and, and got through and just pretty much picked up whatever jobs I could. I ended up doing event management for in dirt bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, so organized that for a couple of years. Then went over to work um, for Ford doing their customer care and communications. And at that point, early 20s, I was like, I need to get off and, and vanish and went and lived in Edinburgh um, for two years. Um, yeah, in Scotland, which was super cool. I've always... That sort of kicked off my travel bug. Um, and again, that was more, I just did, you know, marketing and business development and sales roles there and traveled. So fell in love with travel, you know, working with Intrepid's a big part of my life and travel so is you, a huge component. I was going to say, I mean, because from the outside, I always think what came first, the purpose or the travel or was uh, the travel the purpose? Uh, t- to, I'll answer this in a very roundabout way and hopefully it gives a very simple answer sure. at the end. I always define myself like at high school, like everyone, like, what are you going to do? I was always like, I'm going to go live in overseas. And that was like my thing that I was going to do. I wanted to be the captain of the Australian cricket team. That wasn't happening. I definitely, <laughs> we all did at some point. Yeah, I definitely had reconciled that. I also wasn't going to be the lead singer of Rage Against the Machine. So I'd reconciled those two things. And my thing was that I was going to go overseas. So that had always been a big allure for me, you know, reading. I love reading and it seems so cool to go out there. In saying that from the purpose point of view, um, my mum has been a massive influence in my life. And since I've been a young kid, she's always helped other people. So um, she cared a lot for my great-grandmother, um, did, you know, above and beyond, like primary carer. Um, and I got to see that. Then as a, as a teenager, mum started to work um, volunteering or a full-time volunteer at a, a special needs school in Werribee, where I'm from. Um, and from that, mum would have kids come into our house and, and spend time. And I saw that again and again. And then eventually mum started to work there. And, and now she opens it and runs a cafe there where she teaches um, underprivileged special needs children wow. about uh, basic, you know, life skills, how to cook, how to count and do those things. So, so she'd be a role model for you early on. Yeah. Yeah. And then also my dad was always like helped coach a cricket team and do all those little things. So I always, you know, I didn't think it at the time, but looking back, does have quite a big role in like yeah. having those formal things that they want to help other people. And then I think as I started to work professionally, my main purpose and drive was helping other people. I started to really relish in the professional landscape when I started to um, coach, help, put other people first and my career blossomed off the back of that. And that's yeah. was really my purpose was helping other people be better at work. Um, and I'm probably better at that than a lot of my day-to-day activities. Yeah, uh, sort, of, sort of through mentor and coaching? Yeah, roles. mentor, coaching, putting other people, yeah, all that stuff, you know, just taking the time to have conversations, be there, help, 
um, be there to have the argument, um, give the stern advice, um, all that sort of stuff. Give the happy advice, tell them to chill out, joke, all those good things. <laughs> but that's probably where I'm at, at my best. Um, I'm probably not at my best if you need me to sit behind a computer and um, punch out, you know, four or five hundred words an hour or something like that. That's sure. not my skill set. I'm probably better out talking, helping, engaging, those sort of things. Yeah. Sure. So um, that love of travel and that love of learning and teaching as well led you to Intrepid? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I've got about that. I, was, I lost my train of thought answering that question there. No, Sorry, mate. Curious, because you went to Edinburgh? Yeah, went, went, went to Edinburgh, came back, um, and I was sort of set on a career in business development. Yeah. So I was very professional, clean-shaven. Obviously, you guys can't see me, but I normally have quite a large beard. <laughs> clean-shaven, suit, out meeting clients, selling, talking about average hold times on phones. like. Not my ideal of, of fun. Um, I could just, I can't picture that now, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah, yeah. And I was in meetings and doing that sort of stuff. And I was just like, uh, you know, paid well, cool job, but I didn't love it. And you were essentially doing sales, sales executive? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, cool. yeah. Um, out winning new business, you know, all that sort of signing contracts and whatnot. So um, sort of thought, hang on a second, I don't really want to do this the rest of my life. Thought that um, social media was kicking off at the time. So I put myself through a couple of university courses doing um, social media. It's interesting. So uni worked for you at that point when you were kind of probably more engaged in. Yeah, I knew what I wanted yeah. to do and I cared a little bit. Yeah. And I understand because I really struggle with university understanding where most of the stuff fits in in yeah. real life. And you get asked to do a communications plan on it. Yeah. What I mean, you, I just think that stuff is so weird because, you know, the way business in the world works, you just do stuff. Yeah. Like it's not all, it's, it's so theoretical at uni, you know? Yeah. Then when you have your first job, it's like pick up the phone and call a hundred people. Yep. Um, actually take photocopy these 400 pages. Um, you don't actually do the thing you spent the four years learning about. They so just, in uni, they should teach how to write an email and how to do a phone call. Yeah. And how not to be a dickhead. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's no the, dickhead policy. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Cause it does take a while for you to work that in business that you're not like, uh, you, you know, you got to treat people the right way. So Absolutely. a couple of those basics would go a long way. Um, but just people skills, I feel like it is really just, you know, how to um, make a good connection with a new person or how to, you know, develop a relationship yeah. or how to read social cues well. Yeah. Talk, engage, do what you say you're going to yeah. do, follow, follow up. Follow Pretty um, cool. Yeah. All those those things. You don't learn. It takes you ages and you don't learn that at university. Um so, yeah, so went back to school, a lot of night course, just, you know, basic um, training, got on that, and then started helping out some friends and small businesses doing their social media and PPC, and a job at one of Intrepid Group's companies, that we'll, we weren't part of them at the time, it was an acquisition later on, but Peregrine Adventures came on to be a search and social media coordinator. Yep. Travel company, I was like, sweet, get to do this new thing that I'm super interested in. I was quite lucky at a time that no one really knew what to do with social media. So I was <laughs> right person, right time and, and got the job. So I had to take a pay cut, um, set myself up again and, and totally change what I was doing. But it was so cool. Like being in a travel company, all of a sudden I got a free trip each year. So Like-minded people having fun, like doing business, working hard, but then I could still go have a beer with them, joke around. Yeah. Um, it wasn't as formal and um, rigid, but still worked hard, still had goals. We still were trying to grow and do cool stuff, but it was like more human. Yeah. And I was like, this is this is where I want to be. This is so cool. Um, and that was just over eight years ago. Yeah. And that was uh, that was acquired by Intrepid and so then the- Yeah, so um, about three or so, four years 
let's say th- three or four years into to that um, Peregrine uh, merger of Intrepid. Yep. Um, and at that time, I went off to take on a. So I worked over that time. I'd worked my way up. Um, had a fair bit of good fortune and good luck um, to head of marketing um for the business um opportunity uh came up to go and work across intrepid and perrigan all the brands and run our north american marketing out of um toronto so i was like super cool can't can't miss up this opportunity i didn't know anything about toronto except maybe a little bit of drake at the time um and obviously the weird tower thing and the fact that it's going to be freezing cold do they even have the raptors back then yeah, they had the Raptors. Had yeah. the Raptors. Vince uh, no, Vince Carter was gone. Unfortunately, oh, it was dang. it was the uh, the early days of uh, Larry and DeRozan. Yeah, um, but obviously they were getting thumped by LeBron most of the time, <laughs> which is quite quite difficult. Um, but the Blue Jays too love baseball, so yeah. I was super excited to to go to that. So um, packed up, um, me and my partner went and moved to Toronto, um, and loved it. I absolutely loved it. And what's it like over there? What's the, what's the scene? Um, it's very similar to Melbourne. So if you like good food, good booze, good sport, music, tick, tick, um, tick, tick, a bit tick. of alternative culture as well, all tick. those sort of things, yep. you'll get it there. The only difference is where uh, winter, you people complain about being cold here at 5 or 10 degrees. It gets <laughs> yeah. to negative 30. Oh, my God. Um, so that is a massive, massive change. But, you know, culturally, Canadians are lovely people. Um Probably Toronto more progressive than even Melbourne, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say. Um, so that was just amazing experience. Couldn't have been happier to go over there and, and live. And the beer there is, uh, for a craft beer head that I am, I think North America has the best beer in the world and Toronto has some of the best breweries in the world. It was oh, absolutely I'll have to amazing. Um, chat to you about a mate's beer brand after the show. He's just launched one there and it's going uh, gangbusters. Yeah. We'll chat about it. Um, so how did that sort of shape your, your mindset and your kind of approach to work being in a global organization at HQ in North America, sort of from Melbourne? Yeah, I think also coming from Edinburgh to like having a couple of experiences is that um, you learn pretty quick to cut the crap that you don't know everything. Yep. And I think going overseas teaches you that more than anything straight away that cultural uh, – one of the things I've learned both experiences, Australians can be quite aggressive in business. Um, in our negotiation and the way we do meetings and whatnot. And that can put people really off in a lot of other, other cultures. And I probably went in like a, a ball on some yeah. things and yeah. like make, yeah. like I've got to make decisions. I've got to have people seeing that I'm the leader. I'm coming in to do these things. And people were like, whoa, what's this guy doing? So it really taught me that I needed to, um, you know, go into the culture. You don't know everything. You've got to be curious. Really taught me about the power of curiosity. Ask questions, adapt. So I think that was quite formulative as well. And I think that holds me in good stead when I came back is yeah. that you don't know everything. You've got to be curious and you've got to adapt to the yep. different cultures, what's important to them. Um, and I made heaps of mistakes along the way, but by the end, I think I had a much better grasp on it and learned a lot. It must be like huge growth. Uh, I mean, it's it's an amazing, almost a parallel process in a way because um, the B Corp movement has started to take off and intrepid. I believe uh, the CEO sort of earmarked the chief purpose officer role for you uh, or decided that that would be a new role at the company. Yeah. Was that a year or two ago? I uh, wasn't anointed to me. I had to go through it. Yeah, right, go through it. No, yep. that, that's cool. Um, don't want to give myself a big head. Um, but, yeah, so I think roughly the, the backstory of that three years ago um, we separated from TUI. Yep. So TUI is a really large, one of the world's largest travel companies effectively. Um and we decided to, both of us had mutually decided to separate. And one of the main things we missed during that time was our focus on purpose. 
You know, it always, you know, impacts at the core of intrepid trips. You know, you go and, and the money goes in local communities. We've been carbon offsetting since 2010. Yeah. You know, big things that may not have seen to drive sales for other businesses were important to us and our, and our customers. And at the time, we decided to have a purpose beyond profit. So uh, that was about three years ago, and that was a key driver. And one of the things we committed to at that point was to become a B Corp as sort of that proof point, that framework sure. to say that we are. It's yep. not just green. We're not just saying this thing when we go out. We're actually trying to do this thing. I think it's a fair point given that there are so many players in the space now who are like purpose washing or greenwashing, sort of overclaiming what they're doing. And, you know, we are single-handedly saving the world. Yeah, and even us too. Like we found B Corp showing a light on areas where we were probably um, not not greenwashing, but like not as well, maybe not as good as we thought we were. Yeah. So like we've always been well, not always since two thousand ten carbon neutral, um, and but when we looked at it, that was about what all we were doing. Like what we we're doing in our buildings, where our offices were, we were recycling enough. Was the energy we were using. You know, and we were championing environmentalists. We are we're doing our best, but it really helped us shine that light. So, um, yeah, decided to commit to that. And then over that time, we've had three years of record business performance. Wow. So profit was really driving, but the whole business was geared to that profit piece, you know, sales, yeah. marketers, product, yeah. you know, like, you know, a business, yeah? yeah. But we didn't have that same drive on the purpose side of the business. So... At that point, the CEO and, and the board decided they wanted to set up two new roles in um, our core strategy team. Um, one was to create the chief growth officer, and that was really about that profit piece. Um, and Michael Edwards, our um, our former EMEA um, regional director, is now taking on that role. And the other was to have a chief purpose officer. So really fitting those two goals, purpose beyond profit. And we see that they're both incredibly important. We don't shy away from the fact that we want to make a profit, but we do that because the more profit we make means the more purpose we can have. Yes. And I think the relationship between profit and purpose is really interesting. It used to sort of be the case that people would say, you know, the more you put in the purpose, maybe the less you do in profit. But I think now we know that there's maybe a more, you know, linear yeah. exponential relationship that actually the more you put into purpose, you're going to do a lot better in profit. Yeah. So are the roles for you, is, has that been the experience sort of for you guys? And also are your roles, you and Michael, kind of working closely mirroring that relationship? Yeah, we're, we're trying to make sure that it continues to do that. I think, um, you know, the idea has changed from corporate responsibility or CSR to creating shared value. And I think that's the biggest fundamental change that's happened over probably the last five or so years. Yeah. That, you know, you want to, when you go into a project or do something, it's not just you find you have better, you do have better outcomes where it's for the benefit of the community that you're working with and for the benefit of any other partners and the benefit of yourself. Yep. Now, a clear example of that is we've launched a community-based tourism project um, in Chitwan National Park. The locals want jobs and tourism and economic independence. WWF wanted rhino conservation. Yep. We wanted unique tourist mm-hmm. products mm-hmm. and um, you know, great product for our customers. So yeah. because of that, the customers, the rhinos now is being conserved mm-hmm. because the local community is protecting it because it's helping drive tourism dollars. So that gives everyone a win yes. and that's providing clear value. We yeah. now get a great tourism product. Yeah. WWF get conservation and that community gets jobs. So is that a different way then of thinking about product streams or offerings? Uh, definitely. I suppose, yeah, we're, we're building that more and more into our products. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so it's probably more – it has changed the way we look at it, whereas before we'd probably just go in and hire. Yeah. So I'm only looking in places now where they've got unique offerings and interesting things and working with them to develop tourism uh, products. But that shared value principle is, is thinking, really important. I suppose thinking about all the stakeholders, that project's effect is a really kind of new way of thinking about um, projects. Yeah. And, you know, the ability to affect local community and drive um, positive social change. It's very exciting, but it wouldn't traditionally have been the domain of an international travel company. Yeah, it would have been World Bank or tourism, yeah. you know, development agencies and whatnot. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and I think also for us, we've always been doing that in some regards and it's now coming into our vernacular that we're understanding yeah. what's happening because we've always worked with local communities to build yeah. up tourism capability, always had a strong partnership approach, but we're now understanding it more in its relationship um, because I think we probably did it in the past because it was just the right thing to do. Yeah. And now we're very comfortable that it helps grow our business and that we shouldn't be afraid of that. And we've got to drive positive outcomes for all our stakeholders. Um, so I like what you were saying earlier was spot on about sort of the language shift in the past few years away from corporate social responsibility towards, you know, terms like social impact or, you know, doing good or, uh, you know, social change. Yeah. It's, it sort of seems to me to be like um, we used to think of it as like a responsibility to mitigate um, harm, whereas now we think about like a positive, um, you know, do good obligation to, to um, in the course of doing our business and creating profit to make the world a better place. Yeah, and have you noticed that language change? Like in, in oh, your definitely, I, yeah. I think it's sort of some of the uh, the reason for starting purposeful, you know, behind uh, the excitement in that whole um, uh, gamut is really the fact that people are waking up to the fact that they can consciously shape a better future and better reality, but it doesn't have to be couched in such like a mandatory kind of regulatory language. Yeah, and are you, are you finding other companies are seeing it help them drive profit as well? Are they seeing that link now? Or yeah. Well, I mean, we've got some good data now around um, where it's happening. I think EY has done some good studies that it's around, it's between 5 and 10% improvement in uh, profit over time. Um, Deloitte's got similar studies, PwC does. We did our own studies at Purposeful with a, um, a, a 30-person retailer in the city and we found through um, rises in productivity, which is enormous over the year, that we ran a bunch of purpose-driven initiatives. We found that um, employee retention and attraction was really strong, yeah, cool. with the millennial sector. And then things that you can look at, like um, employee net promoter score uh, skyrocketed by that 23% increase. Yeah. And we've seen incredible well, – that's interesting you've touched on probably more the internal stuff, which I haven't spoken about yeah. much, but um, – you know, our engagement school, we use Culture Amp um, yep. as a way to do that. And it was, you know, the highest we've ever had um, at 85%, if that means yeah. anything to any Culture Amp users out there, which is incredibly high, higher yeah. than the average, higher than B Corps yep. generally is the average alliance. So um, we see incredibly engagement from our staff. Our staff turnover is quite low. Um, so it does, you know, really help that and engagement. That is a direct link of how purpose drives profit as well. And I think one of the biggest parts is just attracting and keeping great talent. So, you know, getting people there. I think there is definitely a correlation between like people who are purpose driven being talented, bright people. Yep. And sort of they want to do good and they want to impact the world, but keeping them as well. And, you know, minimizing that could be the biggest cost for an organization. Yep. So doing that and then, you know, the engagement piece, if you've got an average of, um, I think the figure's like 17% or 20% engagement globally at the moment at workplaces, yep. it's just really like most people are coming to work not wanting to be at work. Um, and if you can do anything. Yeah, which is crap, eh? Imagine living like oh. that. I mean, but, but it is. I mean, really, if you think about, I mean, I've, I've certainly had jobs where it's sort of like I'd rather not be there. Yeah. Um, but I think 
I have. I've sold socks over the phone. <laughs> have you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, I've done door-to-door credit cards for American Express. Yeah, hard, eh? Hard awful, job. Awful stuff. Yeah. Uh, soul-destroying stuff. But I think the thing is, if you think about what this generation wants and how they think, it's all about creating positive change and, like, making the world a better place. So that requires or it's inherently linked to engagement at work. You can't foster that sense of engagement. Um, you're getting nowhere with the top people that you want to hire. And, I mean, I'm sure, you know, culture as well, you've seen some interesting um, numbers around sort of, you know, love of the company too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, the engagement through the roof. Mm. Um, we see our high scores come in responsible business. Like, mm. they're proud of our, the responsible business and responsible tourism practices. Yeah. That we have, um, and yeah, our, our, our culture AMP and NPS scores are, are really, really strong. So we've actually just gone through that um, in the last last month. So that's super cool. And we actually saw, saw an improvement on the year before, yeah. um, and we've recently won uh, a lot of awards um, for you know, best travel company, all these other things that yeah. are coming off the back of it, um, which is which is fantastic. But I think you know our staff power and engagement and what is what's really been driving us, and it's a great place to come to work. You know, we go oh, we get to hang absolutely. out with my friends and work hard and yeah. you know we stuff up together but we sort stuff out yeah. um we joke you know and we have a good time so it definitely makes that mental happiness not only that drive to get better but makes you i think a happier person as as well um which is super important massively important but i think it's exciting to see a company um the size of intrepid like a global the world's biggest adventure travel company deciding to become a b-corp mm-hmm. and then sort of seeing other larger players like Danone and unilever kind of going through that process to become a b-corp there certainly it's not about the b-corp but for me it's more about the decision to sort of make purpose and you know doing good globally a real priority for the organization yeah i think i think the thing that's really cool is that it's now coming to the framework of decision makers of the leadership teams of businesses that they're not just for profit yeah yeah it's okay the, the profit thing's cool and we need it to fuel the business but we're now for the community we're for the workers um we're for um our customers you know and we're for mm. the environment mm. And that those things are now happening at that leadership level and being discussed, you know, obviously we, you've got to make hard decisions on it and they're not always going to come out in favor of each of those. Yeah. But the fact they're being spoken about, they're being used as a lens, they're being used to discuss how we can get competitive advantage, how we can use it to grow and not just as a cost. Yes. Is really, really cool. And that you're there for the benefit of these things. You're yeah. not just there for the benefit of the of the dollar. And that's a shift. So even having a seat at the C-suite table that's a purpose seat or like a yeah. you know positive uh, strategic orientation piece or vision piece there, I think, is massive. Um, it sort of signifies the, the changing stature of that kind of role. Because uh, I think, you know, you, you do see some um, – corporate social responsibility directors was sort of like the top of the, the heap before. Yeah. And now it's kind of, you know, it is that ability to shape the way the company is going and the direction that it's heading and the strategic priorities is a real kind of paradigm shift. Yeah. I think I suppose we're, we're a little bit different. It's probably always been part of our DNA. Yeah, sure. Uh, Daryl and Manch, our founders, have always wanted to give back um, through our style of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had a foundation um, for years now, and that's always been incredibly important to them to help raise funds, to get them into local communities. So I think as far as, you know, a leadership team goes, we're always making these decisions and yes. discussing them um, already. Um, and we've probably got a quite progressive think tank or leadership, just the whole business, not just the leadership team throughout the business that it's important to people. So I think that's really cool that our whole business is in, empowered um, behind it. And um, we're really lucky to have people that really care um, and have this regardless if we weren't B Corp. And I think that's where 
you know, frameworks and certifications are great. Yes. But if it's not genuine and people aren't trying to make it happen, it's it's not going to matter. And you'll probably drift off and you won't have B Corp in a couple of years because it's too hard. And the improvements got too hard and there was, you know, too much work, you know. For us, it took us three years um, to become... And you've got something like 25 separate entities. Yeah, I think it was um, off the top of 23 offices that we had to certify. Yep. So everywhere from our office in Colombo and Sri Lanka to uh, London uh, to Lima and Peru all went through the certification process. Um, and that's hard. Oh, um, when I saw your numbers around how hard that was, I, I basically shut the bed because yeah. um, even as a one or two person organization, it still took six months. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was hard, and like it was, it was three, and a classic intrepid style. We just ran into it, like, yeah, we'll get it done in six months, yeah. and then we're like, whoa, this is a lot more work. And we were so confident because we'd always believe well, we do. We had purpose at the core of our product, yeah. what we did, and we were like, yeah, this will be easy. We're great, but it, where we've it was a step back at the time, but it's a positive step forward now. Mm-hmm. Is a highlighted areas where we had to get better. Like one of the areas where it really shone our light in is you can imagine we travel. We traveled 100, over 130 different countries on every continent on earth and um, a thousand itineraries. So you got to imagine the supply chain that goes into that, you know, the hotels, the operators, the home state experience, quite vast in you know, all those countries. Yeah. And we discovered that in Egypt, that our homestays that we had were run by the women, so run by women um, leaders and their families. But the contracts were always with the men and they had nothing to do with the business. And we, when we looked at that and B Corp shone that line, we were uncomfortable. Why aren't we having the money and the decision-making going through the business yeah. leader? Yep. It happened, you know, if my mum was running a business here, that wouldn't, you know, wouldn't that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Yes. Well, you wouldn't make the money go through your dad to get the contracts done. Exactly. It's pretty 1940s. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 you know, and so that, and we'll straight away made the change. And I think the shining the light on some of the things that are maybe you wouldn't have thought about before is the real value of that process. <laughs> Like, you know, um, asking a, a bunch of structured, well-thought-out, challenging questions that make you – it's not about getting the top score on that. It's about recognizing that there's room for improvement Yeah, how you tackle Great. And I think the thing is, too, you know, we're travel experts. Yeah. Like, we're, two, we're operators. We're yeah. two operators. That's our core competence. We'll run a great trip. Yeah. All the purpose and responsible and sustainability stuff, we're adding on. You know, we're having to get expertise in where – learning and building them on and we're trying to be the best we can but we're not impact experts sure so there are going to be things where we run a great trip but we've got to get that part better and that that b corps really helped us understand that i think we're on a bigger step now to measure more to yeah. understand our impact further i think b corps an incredible framework to get better um but i think as far as measuring impact there's more work that we need to do to understand where we can have our focus and where we can get the most impact from. Yeah, and I think it's a journey. I'd love you to talk a bit about your focus areas at the moment um, in terms of uh, if there are global sort of priorities that you're, you're working into. Yeah. Your um, yeah. Oh, damn, I missed my chance to ask you a question. I was like, it took you what, six months to get your accreditation. Yeah. Was there something that you were like, wow, with your process? Yeah, uh, many things I was like, wow. First of all, I was sort of like speaking between the states and here and, you know, who's running this? Why aren't they actually in Melbourne? It was a whole thing. But I think we were unique as well because it was very much a startup. It was a one-person startup and it was a startup run out of a co-work space. So, yeah. And although that's very common now, uh, back then they didn't have the modality to yep. um, understand that a co-work, like that a startup would be in a co-work space, yep. which, which is weird because it was only 2016. Yeah. Um, but... 
at that time, co-workspaces were very common, but the, the, the systems that they were using kind of required you to explain um, energy consumption and all this kind of stuff as though you were in your own office or house. Yeah. Um, so that took a while to get the heads Imagine. around. Um, and then, um, you know, I was in a lucky position because for me, I was very, my organisation purposeful was very much about a vision for business and not-for-profits in the future and what that might look like. So it was, a, it was very much a values and philosophy-based organisation. So I was able to shape um, how a lot of the things presented also by looking at what they call like what a best practice organisation would look like. Yeah. Um, so I, I, in a way, had a real insight into, you know, from the planning of the organisation was informed by B Corp or okay. the stuff. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so it, it was a process, but I think it was far easier than being 23 global organisations. Yeah, a couple thousand employees. Yeah, a couple thousand yeah. employees. <laughs> yeah, different cultures, languages, yeah. different uh, governmental standards. That's right. But we're recertifying, um, you know, next year, and uh, I'm really excited for that challenge to see, you know, what are the areas that we can really improve on. Um, yeah. Because when you're, when you're a very small startup, B Corp, I mean, um, your costs or your, your kind of carbon impact is negligible because, you know, you work in a co-work space, I don't drink a huge amount of water, I don't waste a lot of water, um, the supply chain is fairly small, being yeah. one other, you know, part-time employee. So um, it'll be interesting to see what I can do more with clients and our community to, you know, improve that impact. Yeah, I'm cool. excited about that. Um, so my question, your initial yeah. one, was about, sorry, man, to, <laughs> no, I was right. just interested Trading to hear from questions. you. Um, so global focuses yeah. um, for, for the coming. So it's quite an interesting time. Obviously, you just touched on my job's relatively new. So being in the gear, getting uh, just over five months now. So it's a lot about framing the strategy and working out where we're going. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things we're going to be incredibly focused on over the preceding couple of years is um, the planet, the environment, climate change. Yeah. Um, I think that the next election is probably going to be our first true positive climate change election. We may have had some negative climate change or carbon tax elections in the past. Yeah. I think we'll see that this election, um, climate change is really brought to the, to, to the table, yeah. um, which, which is pretty exciting personally. But I think as an organization, um, we are going to be really stepping up where we go. Yeah. Uh, we've been carbon neutral since 2010. Um, to be honest, we sort of feel now that's baseline. That's an expectation. We've, yeah. we've done that. Um, and we want to go to the next step. We really want to go beyond carbon and un- take our environmental approach to the next step that starts to have positive change, not just stops negative change. That's very exciting. So you're talking about really um, scaling what you do as best practice into the kind of policy or political decision-making sphere? Uh, you would definitely looking to try and make sure it's part of the, po- the politics, uh, polit- policy change. Um, so that's really exciting. We want to see that change. But then also our own practice. I think one of the hard things being a travel company is um, the more we grow, which is great, um, more people fly. Um, and carbon is from planes is a, is a really big part of that uh, environmental issue we're facing. So we believe because of that, we've got to go further. Yeah. You know, we want people to, we believe that travel is such an amazing transformational tool and educational piece of so people should still travel, should still go meet people, engage, but we've got to come overcome as an organization um, our role yeah. in that. So we're really working hard to try and understand that um, and what we can do to, to go to that next step. Is, is a bit that sort of about like encouraging how other businesses do things? Yeah, I think we'll definitely always try and take an advocacy or lead on that. We're, we're probably going to get ourselves sorted, but hopefully we do it in such a way that other people want to follow. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think one of the things that we did with um, well, the first tour operator band, Elephant Rides, uh, about four years ago. Um, and at the time, incredibly risky for our business. So Elephant Ride, so Southeast Asia is probably about 40% of our business. Elephant Rides are like the most number one Instagrammable, yeah. you know, Tinder profile picture yeah. at the time. That was, you know, what people went to Southeast Asia for. And I'm, I think we've probably all got friends or ourselves that are ridden elephants and they're mm-hmm. on our Facebook profile pictures, which is, um, okay, we did a lot of research to understand that it wasn't right and it was it takes a hell of a lot of work, horrible, inhumane work to break in an elephant. Yeah. So we made the decision to ban elephant rides, but it was probably – it was a really big commercial risk yeah. for as, as a company. But um, our customers, once they were educated, got on board, our, our sales actually grew in that destination. Yeah. But when you talk about leadership, hundred over 100 different tour operators now no longer offer elephant rides and they've been re- removed from TripAdvisor. So you took, you took the um, – oh, wow, removed from TripAdvisor. Yeah. So you, you went first where, um, into uncharted territory in a way, making a bold step um, yeah. to educate the sector, really. Yeah, and our customers. And our customers at first were like, whoa, but then when they understood, they were like, actually, I don't want to ride elephant. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't want to once you understand what has to take yeah. place. And I think that is the, the future of the, the, like the current traveler and future travels that they embark on are a lot more interested in things like that. Like what is the impact of tourism? Yeah. Yeah. And I think to, to that point, you know, like if we don't look after the environment, there's going to be no great barrier reef to see. Yeah. So what happens to tourism then? You know, yeah. like it, it, tourism and the environment are so linked, intrinsically linked not only from the aeroplane component, the plane carbon component, but the fact is you travel to go see these amazing things. You know, you go to Machu Picchu, you want to go see um, the pyramids, you want to go to the jungles uh, in Africa, you want to go see the orangutan in Borneo. But if we don't actually look after these precious environments, these things aren't going to exist. And then as a travel sector, we, we don't have a business. Mm. Um, and I, that's a bit morbid in some regards, but that's the reality. We've got to find a way to look after the places we live and the places we visit as best we can. Um, otherwise, they're not going to be there to enjoy. As well said. If you wanted to leave sort of some advice for businesses that are embark- wanting to embark on becoming a bit more purpose-driven or you know, measuring impact or you know, to aligning a bit more with um, doing good in the world, what, what kind of insights would you like to share to people if there's one or two? Or um, I think the first one's always just start. Like just give it a crack because I think you'll find and we find too is – it actually leads to better business practices. It helps you save money, helps you generate more profit. And I think, I think if you look at it that regard, so I think my, my tip would be start, understand where your company, like I think people, we've talked about this a couple of times actually, they run off and try and do all the good things. Yeah. Right? And we can, as humans and as business, we can't do everything. So you know your business better than anyone. Understand where your business has the most impact. What can your company do right now that's going to have the most positive impact? And focus on that. So my, my advice would be start. You know your business better than anyone. Understand your impact and try and make that better. It's extremely well said, I might say. Now, Thanks. I want to ask a question about you and your own sort of growth and learning. Um, are you a podcast lover? Do you read books? Do you read blogs? What do you do kind of on an ongoing basis to stay in touch with your interests and passions? Um, I love reading and I do a um, massive podcast fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I binge. I'm a horrible binger of yeah. books and podcasts yeah. and t- television. Yeah. So I'll go months and then of nothing and then I'll be so addicted to something that 
um, like uh, Netflix Wild Wild Country. Uh, yeah. I was like, was yeah, like for two days, I literally just watched, <laughs> and then I won't go watch TV again yeah. for ages. I, I really go, and same with uh, podcasts, um, ESPN, uh, 30 for 30 podcasts. Like, yeah. As soon as they come on, I binge listen to them in no one's business. So I, lots of podcasts, I read heaps. Um, what are it's two probably things. I'm reading a book about mega cities about uh, Mumbai. Mm-hmm. So it's all about just all these different collective stories around the city of Mumbai and what goes into make it this amazing city. Yeah. Uh, everything from gangsters, movie stars, politicians mm-hmm. to uh, the, the guy, the, the, the Jai Wala. So it's quite an interesting book um, that goes into that. I'm also reading uh, Ray Dalio's Principles. Oh, that's, that's a bare tone, that one. Yep, that's a lot more serious, yeah. um, uh, but quite interesting. I think there's a lot of cool stuff there. That, he, um, he does say some great stuff, but I just, I just don't know whether I'll ever finish it. Yeah, it's, I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, because the principles, if it was just the principles, yeah. if you could just have those. Yeah. He, I, and the one thing I truly struggle with that book is it has a brilliant story. Yeah. But just doesn't go into it in depth. Yeah, like, yeah, I think yeah. when he touches on why he's the Singapore president, ex-president's his favorite person, that's it. He just says it and walks on. I'm like, whoa, whoa, why? You had Back dinner with him? Back up the truck a little bit and explain that. Yeah, what, why? Tell me. I've never imagined that. And yeah. he's like, and he said his favorite, the Singapore president said his favorite person's Vladimir Putin. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> that's crazy, man. Tell that, tell that story. And then the, it finishes, yeah? And you're yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. what? And then he goes into these principles. And I, I think he's, the base principle is amazing around honesty. Yeah, that's that's true. I think a well, lot that's of something that I've definitely tried to do more this year than any other year is just communicate directly and honestly. Yeah, but I think also, like a lot of these books, they're so far fetched in the most successful companies. If you applied it to your company today, it could blow up. Oh yeah, I think some of the stuff that's happening at um, at Bridgewater is like it's totally non translatable to like small business here or yeah. even you know decent sized business. It is fascinating. Yeah. Um, and then I'm a massive baseball fan, so I'm reading a book about um, the illusion of baseball statistics and yeah. why half of the statistics are bullshit yeah. and you shouldn't waste your time and there's better stats out there. Um, so there are a couple of books that I'm reading. And then podcast-wise, I don't know if I'm supposed to answer it like this or are you just answering a closed question? Oh, no, no. It's, it's not a tee-up. Oh. Say whatever you like. But no, no. I'm just curious. I think our listeners are always curious about what other guests are listening to. Yeah, cool. Um, I listen to um, – I love conversations. Yeah. I uh, just – I love – you know, being Australian, I don't think we've done a great job in telling our stories. After living in North America, they tell their stories. You know, you learn about that culture. And I don't think Australia's done a great job in owning all facets of our stories, good, bad, or otherwise, mm. um, particularly very Indigenous, but just right across the, the board. And I think Conversations is a brilliant job in telling uniquely, not always Australian, but you do get a lot of great Australian... You mean ABC Conversations? Yeah, ABC Conversations. Like, you get all that. So, I absolutely yeah. love that. Um, and then I'm always um, on ESPN 30 for 30 awesome. as soon as they come out. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, where can people uh, connect with you and learn more about your work? Um, yeah, I suppose if they want to connect with me personally, Twitter is the easiest way, um, at LC Barnes. Um, you can get on there and see gratuitous pictures of my giant beard um, and then also if you just get on LinkedIn and go to uh, Lee Barnes um, and they're probably the two easiest ways to find out more about me and get in touch as well and Intrepid uh, Intrepid straight up just Google Intrepid Travel Intrepid, yeah exactly right and then um, yeah we'll go to one of our social media um, channels um, definitely jump on there um, or our group um, site, Intrepid Group, um, as well. So if you just Google any of those, you'll find all the cool trips and things we do. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for dropping in for Whiskey and Chat. Cool. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. Why not share the podcast with a friend? You could also leave us a five-star review in your podcast player. You may also want to join us for one of our regular live podcasts or to become a show sponsor. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com.au and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook.